0: Hello, Stephen.
1: Hello, Erica.
0: That is more like it.
1: <laughs> we just watched uh, episode one of Colony in Space, mm-hmm. and this is up your alley, is it?
0: Oh my goodness, this is my Doctor Who. I'm so happy. I was I was really starting to despair and be worried after the Clause of Access, which I had heard such good things about from uh, at least a few people, okay. uh, and found it fine uh Uh, and then i i honestly don't remember hearing much of anything about colony in space one way or another yeah um but this is like, there are Time Lords? I had no idea the Time Lords showed up here. That was completely news to me. The Doctor finally gets off friggin' planet Earth. That was amazing. Um, And shows up. Something hinky's going on. There's a quarry. <laughs> I mean, this the, is- the
1: quarriest of quarries, I think.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like, it looks... Yeah, it almost looks like it's supposed to be a quarry-ish sort of thing. I mean, it's not, but like... They think he's a mineralogist looking for mining. So, Uh you know, a (laughs) pre-quarry. And also, actually, even before we got to to that stuff that was really up my alley, I quite enjoyed the first scene with the doctor and Joe and the brigadier. That was just it. It reminded me a little bit of my favorite scenes of the doctor and Liz and the brigadier from Mm -hmm. from season seven. Like they were they were getting along well. And until the last moment, the doctor wasn't being all, you know, annoyed uh, when Joe asks him are you, you you don't actually think you're gonna get it to work like I can understand him being annoyed at that so that didn't even even really bother me also I guess of course Joe would have a scene where she sees the inside of the TARDIS for the first time it just it never occurred to me that that's a thing that happened that I hadn't seen yet so that was that was fun and exciting to see mm-hmm. um, and I appreciated Joe being very honest about her feelings about being scared to be on another planet uh they, yeah and then there's a lot more stuff but I don't want to just keep talking so say something <laughs> i uh
1: that, that's i'm i'm very glad that you enjoy this uh story because it is uh it is sort of overlooked i think i've always thought it was overlooked in doctor who fandom uh yes they are finally off earth mm-hmm. uh, at uh, at the behest of uh, terence Dixon Barry letts who were like you know um we we inherited this format mm-hmm. of uh, being stuck on Earth And it was Malcolm Hulk Who actually told Terrence Dix You know That basically gives you two options uh, Alien invasion Or mad scientist mm-hmm. And so It's somewhat ironic That Malcolm Hulk Writes the first um, Pertwee story Set On a On a different planet So Yes yeah, so it was part of the remit Sort of like uh, Let's thing, let's, let's get him off Earth We're tired of Doing everything On planet Earth And so This is the result mm-hmm. So far
0: Yeah And it's It's great uh, just, I am a sucker for the idea of a colony on another planet and just trying to survive and make it your own. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like that's a very golden age sci-fi sort of idea that I've, I've always kind of liked. And, uh, you know, I, I do appreciate that modern science fiction sort of pays a little more attention to the sort of, you know, colonization aspect yeah. of that, um, which I mean... It, kind of a little bit touched on here because obviously there are creatures that already live there. Uh, I had an inkling that they already had had some sort of contact with the colonists because the one of the first ones that we see by the TARDIS is wearing like this big funky necklace thing, mm-hmm. which I let me tell you I would totally wear Like one of those To work A hundred percent Like that is Statement jewelry Right, right there
1: mm-hmm. Even when working From home As we are
0: Yeah, yeah that's true yeah. Um, And then I noticed In like the, the first scene Where we have uh, The colonists That <clears throat> one of the women Might have been the wife Of the, uh, the main guy Had a necklace Which was a very Similar style So did the
1: other uh, Lady there okay. Played by Mitzi Webber Webster Who I can't remember Her name Misses somebody anyway But she had one too
0: Leeson the one that died.
1: Leeson and and the other okay. a woman who later appears in the Green Death. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, wow.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Um. So, so that was kind of a nice surprise toward the end of the episode. I thought the set decoration was really good. Like, especially the, um, the, the small dome where the Leesons lived Mm -hmm. and just like the little touch of having like four or five little potted plants sitting on the sill above the door. Like they're literally trying to grow stuff everywhere they Mm -hmm. can. Um, and you know, the bed that pops down out of the wall, very functional. That's, Mm -hmm. that's totally the kind of, you know, it's like, it's almost like a Murphy bed. Um, murphy bench and yeah like just it it was it's really good
1: <laughs> wow this uh this your uh take on this might be controversial uh just because like how could you like colony in space i have always been uh, a liker of colony in space so i'm happy that you are are seeing uh my enthusiasm of the story
0: yeah i have no idea how i would feel about it if i just watched it Like by itself, like if I had been watching a bunch of Tom Baker episodes or, you know, Peter Davison or something else, even knew who, and then just randomly watched this one no idea but watching it in context it just feels like such a breath of fresh air mm-hmm. like this is this is what I've missed oh also and speaking of like us not being able to even keep track of like you know the women and the necklaces and all that stuff there's a lot of women rolling around here and like I I think to the future a few years when we get Tom Baker on the scene in his first few seasons and how there are like no women around uh, or very very few uh, it just seems really nice to have so many women you know which makes sense it's a colony. Mm-hmm. You you kind of need women and men, uh, if you <laughs> if you want a colony to survive and yeah. continue. So it just it, it works really well with the story, and it's nice to see.
1: It is nice to see. Yeah, I I feel like um, Pertwee Doctor Who sort of represents is a much more diverse look than perhaps it is in the later seventies. I don't know if that's a reflection of society or or what, but uh, it's intriguing. I need to read more about history and what was happening at the time when they were making. TV and Doctor Who specifically, just to see what the world politics and, you know, gender um, equalization going on at the time was like.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's possible that when we get to the later 70s and early 80s, there's more of a backlash against feminism. So you yeah. get you get people who are in charge and uh, maybe have some... Um, ingrained subconscious or fully conscious uh, sexism that uh, comes out on the screen in terms of, of casting and, and writing mm-hmm. um, but right here it was uh, it was delightful because and also like the women who had speaking parts like sometimes you get like the one token woman who gets a few lines and that's it but uh, <clears throat> Pretty much they all seem to be as fully realized characters as, you know, as the men. Mm-hmm. Like the, the woman, uh, Mrs. Leeson and Mr. Leeson have like just a nice conversation. You get this younger girl who um, gets some soup and settles yeah. up to <laughs> to Joe um, and she's got lines. And just like everybody, they seem to be people who are just, you know, trying to, to work things out. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the, the the I can't remember the name of her, the actress who plays her, the one who talks to Joe. But I think she goes on to be in Coronation Street two or three, I don't know, shortly after this, maybe in the 80s. She's still there today. Whoa. She's been on that show for like 40 or 50 years, yeah. And this is like one of her early roles.
0: Good for her. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, good yeah. for her. I also really like the guy who's in charge of the colony. I don't remember his name. Ash. Ash okay yes oh yeah cuz the the young girl Mary Ash is her yeah, Ash, yeah. the daughter um yeah i he is he is also very refreshing because he's he's very much trying to argue for keeping going and not giving up and flying away and stuff and in the past uh we have had a lot of men who are in control who are urging for the status quo for bad reasons Mm -hmm. so like i'm thinking of like fury from the deep where it's like no 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 we're not gonna we're not gonna change anything we do we're gonna keep mining this like gas or whatever Mm -hmm. it is uh, even though weird things are happening around because everything's fine if i i am a great bloviating leader if i ignore something that's going wrong around Mm me it will just go away uh and clearly that doesn't happen in this case you have a leader who recognizes that yes there is something wrong um he he admits it he realizes it, um but he points out that the other alternatives that they have are possibly non existent, like their spaceship might not even get them to anywhere they want to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they do go back to Earth, they have nothing, and This is one of those things where it actually feels to me like a truly legitimate choice that these people have, like yeah, they could try to go back to Earth, but they have lost all of their savings, and it sounds like Earth is in pretty crappy shape right now, I know. so so yeah, like that is that is one possibility. They might be able to get there. Even if they do, things are going to be really bad. If they stay here, maybe some of them, more of them will die. Maybe all of them will die. Could be bad. But also if they band together and fight against whatever it is, Especially with the help of this mysterious agricultural specialist mm-hmm. that has shown up with his fancy cape, um, <laughs> then maybe they have a shot of uh, a shot at making it work. And it just it felt like a a plea that came from the heart, as opposed to a plea that came from um, denial and obliviousness.
1: Yeah, it's a nice, genuine performance by mm-hmm. one John Ringham, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I really I really like it. Like he's he's tried his best, and I mean he seems like a pretty pretty solid dude because he's you know I mean it's maybe not great that he has lied to the people and told them that there are no other there's no other life on this planet when clearly there is and clearly he knows about it but you know the impression that I get from this one episode and everything could be completely different and go downhill from here but the impression that I get is is that he recognizes that they are people and you know that he can communicate with them and he I think assumes that maybe not everybody in the colony would be as open-minded as he is, so Mm -hmm. he makes the choice... To keep that to himself Because he knows that they are non-hostile And they and I I assume he hopes They won't get in each other's ways I mean, yeah, they probably shouldn't be Colonizing a planet that has life on it In the first place That is is 100% a true thing But at this stage of science fiction narrative That's not something that was Generally very deeply interrogated So, you know, I'm just I'm gonna, you know, sort of put a pin in that In the back of my mind And Mm. continue to go along with the story
1: yeah, it's very much a uh, a space Western in, you know, that regards, mm-hmm. like, you know, like the, the primitives, as they are called, are sort of the indigenous uh, population of North America. And these are like the pioneers mm-hmm. moving out West, you know, that sort of Trope, I think, without thinking of the real world ramifications, they're thinking more of like old timey Western movies and how they were sort of treated like villains, more or less.
0: Yeah, back in the days when the the cowboys were were glorified. Yeah. Um, whereas that should absolutely not be the case. Yep. Um, but uh, but here it's it's just they're so far it doesn't like at least from this one person, this one guy Ash's mm-hmm. perspective, it doesn't seem like they're trying to you know eradicate them or stamp them out and obviously that could be something that comes later i don't know i this is that's another thing that's exciting about this with every story that we watch i am always excited to be like okay is this something i remember Uh have i seen this before and if i haven't then it's like this this could be the last doctor who story that is completely new to me every time and so now i'm kind of i was a little bit daunted when you put in the DVD and it showed six episodes and uh, I was like, oh, it's a six parter, huh? Uh, uh, but now I'm really, I'm really glad that there are six parts because that's definitely at least five more episodes of Doctor Who that I am pretty certain I've never seen before or saw when I was so young, I don't remember.
1: This is exciting. Isn't it exciting? Episodes one are always exciting for you though, right?
0: Yeah. I love, I love beginnings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, who knows by episode four, I might be like, oh my God, make it end. But right now I'm thrilled.
1: Well, good, so am I. Um, uh, Ash is played by John Ringham, who I said one of his previous roles in Doctor Who was the Latoxel in the Aztecs.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: That's a range, isn't it?
0: Holy moly. Man, okay yeah what a what a great actor Mm -hmm.
1: yeah i thought so oh another actor one of playing one of the the three time lords the seated time lord is one graham lehman who uh has appeared in i think two or three roles up to this point maybe even more i think he's in mack as well and is in the three doctors as well all of his roles are seated because he did not have the use of his legs uh and but This was a time when being disabled, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, would probably be seen as a career detriment. So Mm -hmm. oftentimes he was sort of um, hired, but like no one like spoke too highly about his uh, disability, (laughs) kind of like uh, Mm -hmm. um, uh, FDR uh, back in the day, you know, because like we have to know because otherwise people won't cast him and stuff. So, yeah, so all of his roles, like I think he's in five different Doctor Who stories. He's uh, seated in pretty much every one, but no one actually explains why.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, good on them for casting somebody with a disability. It's yeah. it's such a shame that he like that it had to sort of be kept under wraps yep. um, that it wasn't noted uh, at the time because, mm-hmm. you know, what a what a boon that could have been for other disabled people at the time. But but that's really cool. And it's nice that Doctor Who has some uh, some representation in terms of actors, even though, you know, not necessarily characters, but that's. Good, good for him. And he, he was good too.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I will say, on top of that, kudos to Gary Russell. I said this on Radio Free Scarlet today. But Gary Russell, who is producing the animated version of Fury from the Deep, he is in Fury from the Deep as someone who's seated all the time as sort of a controller and stuff. Well, because... You have the bit of the, you have the option to sort of play with the background a little bit. He's diversified the supporting non-speaking cast, mm-hmm. so it's not just all white dudes as it was in 1968. Mm-hmm. But he's given Graham Limit a wheelchair because he wouldn't have been able to have that in 1968. But he's given him a futuristic space wheelchair that he has now. So good for Gary Russell.
0: Oh my God, that actually made me messed up a little <laughs> yeah. bit. That's that is really really cool. Yeah. And I thought he looked familiar, so it doesn't surprise me that I have seen him in the. Uh, like, the, the odd telesnap yeah. from there.
1: Yeah he's been he was a uh, um the ice warrior commander in Seeds of Death appearing on the scanner only oh, yeah. talking to um Slar or whatever his name was at the episode six but uh also this is I believe the last time we see this TARDIS console room yeah. in its in its original form. That photographic blow up yeah. Pour one out for it. I think uh, if I think I'm less am mistaken. I think it's uh, it's that's it. And by the next time we see another TARDIS set, it'll be uh, it'll be different. So, mm-hmm. so we've reached that point in this in our journey here. The original TARDIS set is finally retired.
0: I mean, it it looked like it had seen better days. Yeah. And gosh, that wall was that was something. I mean, it was like I I kind of smiled and you know it was kind of like <laughs> hand over heart, like oh, yeah. but. At the same time, ooh, no, no. No, maybe you
1: could get away with that in like 425 line black and white TV. But then once you get it into color, it's just like smack dab like a primary wall. It's very, very slapdash that console room in episode one.
0: It was it was pretty obvious. I mean, it, it makes it look like you've got roundels on the doors and the, like the one wall. Yeah. And then that the doctor decided to decorate this other wall of his spaceship with wallpaper yeah. that just looks like the other yeah, wall. Exactly. Like it's very clearly two-dimensional.
1: Yeah, it's a bit odd. Uh, this is um, Michael E. Bryant's first time directing Doctor Who. He directs several after this, but this is his first time directing.
0: It just said Michael Bryant.
1: Yes, uh, I think at, uh, at some point he changes it to Michael E Because there was an actor, I think, whose name was Michael Bryant So he uh, And he used to be an actor as well um, Michael E, I, I quite like his directorial style in all of his Doctor Who One thing he wasn't quite sure of is how the TARDIS materializes Because <laughs> it doesn't roll back and mix, it doesn't fade in You hear the sound and when it lands, boom, jump cup And it's landed or it takes off Yeah
0: Bing! My headcanon is, at least for this case, and I don't know, uh, when the Time Lords are right. uh, are doing it by remote control, they don't have nearly the finesse that the Doctor does, so it's just going to appear bing. Now, once again, that something might happen later in this story that totally refutes my headcanon, but for now, it will stand.
1: That's fine. That's. I just find it charming that uh, you know there wasn't like a hard written in stone bible about here are the things that we do on the show and here's how we make things work and just like nope however you feel like you want to do them mm-hmm. do it that way and so
0: hey the TARDIS can probably work in an awful lot of mysterious ways
1: very much just like you two. uh anything else about uh, episode one of colony did in space
0: seriously just make you U2 joke I did why <laughs> okay just just checking it was there yeah, I know. And now that stupid song stuck in my head and I am, now I'm upset. Stop whistling.
1: It's in my head now too.
0: Uh-huh. You, you have no one to blame but yourself.
1: Well, my friend Yasser is a big U2 fan and it's his birthday today. So that's my oh. backwards reasoning of working that in.
0: All right, that's fair. Happy birthday, Yasser, who does not listen to this podcast, but but happy birthday, Yasser anyway.
1: He doesn't we we uh we've been friends for quite a while. And we both like Robin of Sherwood. We were one of the first people who <laughs> Yeah, so we we often say nothing is forgotten because of Robin of Sherwood.
0: Wow. And yet he you didn't really get him into to Doctor Who.
1: You know what? I he might have started watching the new series. Uh, I don't see him as much anymore. We used to play on uh, our hockey team together, you see. So, but uh, I think he got into if he if he got into doctor, who he got into it after that, when was a little more accessible. So,
0: gotcha. Well, you know what? We should we should. Have another Settlers of Catan game once we can leave the house that's, again and go visit him.
1: That's true. and the space year 2021, perhaps. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you mean you left back in 1971? What a quaint uh, line that is from Joe thinking that you left back in 1971 because, you see, uh-huh. it's supposedly set in the near future mm-hmm. to 1971. This is probably like 1980 but it ne- they never make any great effort to actually make you think that it's 1980 or something past that so yeah leaving back and so so in, in Joe's mind they've sent space colony ships out to other planets in 1971 or perhaps he was just like being polite I don't know
0: it, I mean it Joe has a reputation for being a bit of a an airhead yeah and I think much of the time, that's not really well-earned, but there are moments <laughs> like this yeah. that don't serve her terribly well mm-hmm. as a character. But but I do think that she was, was very good in this episode in terms of, you know, Katie Manning emoting and, you know, like, I really felt like I understood what joe was going through mm-hmm. you know that she really didn't believe that the doctor was actually ever going to go anywhere and i kind of found myself comparing and contrasting with liz you know who was trying to help the doctor or work on the tardis and stuff and i got the impression that liz always thought that the doctor was gonna take off and go to wherever mm-hmm. you know as soon as he could um and joe just it never truly sunk in and occurred to her that that, that stuff that he was talking about could actually really be true like even if she sort of believed it on on one level because she trusts the doctor like it's a totally different thing to experience it and see it happening so when it does like there are plenty of times we've seen joe be very very brave but this is one of those things that's just completely outside Mm. of her understanding and you know you can't blame her for that and and i think i think it's maybe a more realistic Uh, reaction than some of the reactions we've seen from companions being like sweet it's a new world I'm just gonna go run around Um, especially since she hadn't actually been primed for it Mm -hmm. and she was not ready for it when she walked in she was not expecting it to be uh, bigger inside than out and she certainly wasn't expecting the doors to close and to take off and go somewhere else Mm -hmm. so I think that was a a pretty cool scene that was a nice first time in the TARDIS kind of sequence Mm -hmm. because it's and it's really interesting because it's a companion that we know so well by this time because we've seen her through a number of stories, mm. and um, a lot of the time when you see that happen, it's in the companion's first or second story, and we don't necessarily know them all that well. Yeah. And here we are, we we already know her, and it was it was kind of fun to go through that journey with somebody who is established mm-hmm. on the show. So like, there's a lot of cool cool stuff happening here in Colony in space. Dear people, talk about this story more.
1: <laughs> well, we have to have the other five episodes to get through. Your opinion might change, but uh, if it does, let's hold on to this moment where you are quite enthusiastic about Colony in Space.
0: Yeah, so far, so great.
1: Great. Well, uh, on the next episode of uh, Lazy Doctor Who, we will be talking about episode two and maybe more mm-hmm. of Colony in Space. Okay. On okay. the uncomfortable network.
0: Okay, you he held the microphone in me. I was like, Well, what am I supposed to say? I don't know. Okay. Goodbye.
1: Goodbye. <laughs>